again, everyone. This is Dan Duva. It's SLGND, the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast, presented by the D Hotel. When will the NHL start its next season? We start with that topic today. Gary Lawless reports on the latest discussions, training camp timing, temporary realignment, logistical hurdles, and more. Plus, Shane Knighty offers the player's point of view trying to get back on the ice. Then we turn to the American Hockey League. The Henderson Silver Knights slated to start in February. Their practice home, Lifeguard Arena, is ready to go. Their jerseys have been unveiled. So the crew revisits life in the AHL with stories from our careers and perspective on the world's second best hockey league and what it means to have the team right down the road from the Golden Knights. It's SLGND, the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast presented by the D Hotel. And now, here's Dave. Well, Dan, that's you're in the holiday spirit. I can tell already. You're in the pre, you already get the, the Thanksgiving turkey on the table, the stuffing, the dressings, maybe a bottle of red. Chances are. <laughs> I am some guy named Dave, Dave Gosher, Shane Nighty, Gary Lawless, Dan Duva, the Sheriff Lawless, some guy named Dave podcast. Pre-Thanksgiving edition here. We sit in the middle of November. And uh, we wait uh, with uh, everyone else that loves a game of hockey to see potentially when the NHL may uh, get to starting what more than likely is going to be just the 2021 season, um, you know, hopefully after the new year. Uh, but more importantly, we're going we're gonna to talk about that now. But after that, we're going to get into the American Hockey League and just the big news around the organization over the last little while. The Henderson Silver Knights. Uh, brand new AHL franchise just opened Lifeguard Arena in Henderson, and, and Shane and I and Gary were there last week. Uh, did a, a nighttime at noon show. Unbelievable facility, City National Arena, basically in Henderson, and maybe even a little bit better than than CNA. So we got a great tour of that. Uh, but before we get to the AHL, and we all spent time in the, in the American League, and it was vital to our growth and development in our chosen fields. NHL, Gary, we're going to go right to the insider right off the bat. Hold his feet to the fire. NBA starting December 22nd. Uh, NFL obviously is in, is in full swing. Uh, what are you hearing? What's the buzz about potentially when might we begin a new NHL season? Well, I think that, you know, everybody still has January 1 as their target date. That's what that's what the players would like. That's what ownership would like, I, I guess, obviously, the the situation with COVID or around North America is is an issue. You know, I mean, like, I don't think the Winnipeg Jets can access their facility or the Montreal Canadiens for that matter right now. So I don't even know how they could hold a training camp. Um, uh, that's just those. That's just two markets, but uh, uh, the border remains closed. And I think really now the biggest issue is like the players have been through. Uh, a one return to play scenario, and they saw how well the NHL handled their health and safety. So I, I, I don't, I don't think that they'd have to work through that again. I think it'll have to be tweaked a little bit. But the players trust uh, the league in, in in their ability to keep them safe. A number of players, mo, you know, most notably Connor McDavid, have had COVID and gotten over it. I think you know the fear of it uh, uh, amongst players, anyways, has probably diminished a little bit. You know, um, you can get it, and you and you know, it seems that segment of society, you know, young professional athletes can can handle it and uh, a lot better than than maybe others. So I, I don't think that's a big issue. The big thing here is economics. The owners are looking at a situation where 
Um, no, no building in the NHL, unless I unless I'm missing something, would be at 100% capacity. I don't think any building in the NHL would be at 50% capacity. Some would be at zero. Uh, so how 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 are revenues going to be affected in the NHL? Well, they're going to be gutted. Uh, I would imagine you know over 50%. Uh, because it's not just when you just when you don't have people in the building, no one buys beer, no one buys a hot dog, no one parks. Um, uh, your sponsorship activations they lose value. The your naming rights, if your building is named something and you don't have people in your building, uh, that activation is uh, is affected. So I would I would suspect that revenues are going to be more than fifty percent down, and the owners are are. Uh, you know, probably looking at that and saying, okay, if we're going to play, we're going to need some help here. The players, they just signed the new CBA. And I, and I think that they, they would like to get paid according to the terms of that CBA. They're, and they're, So there's a disconnect right now that, uh, that Gary Bettman and Donald fear they need to close. I know that uh, I think the players, are there 16, 15 or 16 are now on their committee that is going to work with the league. And obviously the league has Gary Bettman, Bill Daly, and then, you know, members of the executive committee that, uh, that I'll be working on this, but uh, they've got, if, if they're going to start their season on January one training camp would have to open on December 15th. Um, from my understanding is it would open in or around the 15th. Uh, there'll be three days off at Christmas there is some back and forth on how many preseason games would be played, anywhere from three to four. So if you're going to play on December 15th, uh, depending on where your players are, you need to get them into their facilities. You need to get your facilities open. What's the date today? It's November 16th. A lot has to happen uh, in the next little while to get to. Uh, to get to get things going, but most importantly, uh, the players and the owners they need to come to an agreement and uh, and determine economically how they're going to return to the ice. Well, there has been some encouraging news too over the last little while. Uh, Moderna and Pfizer have come out with some vaccines. You know, Pfizer's ninety percent effective, Moderna's 95 percent effective. But again, you know, to to vaccinate three hundred million people in America is going to take. Well, first off, it's going to get officially approved, but it's going to take a long, long time. And I wonder just, you know, how much of an impact any of that, that's going to have a huge impact, I would think, on whether you're going to get fans or not in the building, rapid testing. I mean, there's so much still to figure out if you're actually the indoor thing, guys, is the issue, right? You know, we've seen in the NFL, you know, they're playing at 20,000 seats in some stadiums. Kansas City, I watched the Chiefs play. They've got, you know, 20,000 seats in there, but um you know, can they make it safe for everybody? Shane, you played in the league a long time. To Gary's point about the players just went through the bubble, um, what would you feel the players' appetite would be for whatever scenario they're going to come up with? It looks like regional, potentially regional sites here as they move forward. Yeah. It'd be like a baseball-type scenario, I'd imagine, for games. But, I, you know, when you've yeah. got that many players, it's going to be split. There's going to be yeah. guys that would rather have some than none. There's going to be guys, the higher end, that, well, if they sit out of here, it doesn't matter. They, you know, they've already got banked so much. So it's it's hard to please everyone. I think, you know, when it comes down to it, I think we saw this in return to play. It's, 
you know, it's just about the future of the game. And I, you hear at every PA meeting, the players that played before you, they paved the path for salaries to escalate, to, to make the game more better financially. And so I sat out a year in 04, 05, a whole season. I would have rather played. I, I was definitely one of those guys that would rather took something than nothing, but it was for the good of the game. And, and that is a selling point that I'm sure is preached right now that, you know, we got to come back. We got to build. For them to not have hockey, it hurts the game. And to me, they need to find a way. And as Gary said, the, the timeline, as days wind down here, it's shorter and shorter. But if one thing was really shown in that return to place, the NHL and PA were able to throw together very quick. What they did was, was phenomenal in, in throwing together the bubble scenario and like the gate, everything that went into both those. Was it perfect? No. But they got it done. It was safe. It was secure. And they did it in a short time. And I think, you know, now as we sit here, and Gary probably hears more than we would ever, they're constantly working on it. Like, Gold Knights organization will be looking at every scenario to make sure they're ready to open. If they need to practice, get in that practice facility, they'll have different scenarios, different plans, looking for the best one, working on it daily, that when it does come, okay. And even to T-Mobile, they'll be looking, all right, can we get fans? Can we get, you know, 10, 20% more, whatever it is, is, is rapid testing. And like all that is being looked at daily by every organization to, to see what is possible so that if there is, you know, if, if things get better right now, it's not good around the world, especially North America uh, with the cases. But, you know, if, if there comes a time and they say, OK, this is how it can work. Uh, I, I have faith that they can put it together quickly just because of what we've seen previously. And that is encouraging too, Dan. I mean, you know, Shane, you, you know, Gary, and I was in the NHL at the time too, where they, they wiped out a whole season. They had another lockout in 12-13. You know, they, they, there's been times that their, that relationship has been dreadful. You know, they've gone through bloodbaths back and forth, but it is encouraging how they were able to put that together, that return to play, no positive COVID tests, the bubble worked. Again, it seems like this would not be a bubble. This would be regional sites, but can they get everybody on the same page and Play 70 games, 68 games, whatever the number might be. We know that there's an appetite to get back to normal as quickly as possible. But before that happens, it's being creative and everybody buying into the creative solutions. That happened with great success for the bubbles this postseason. But then it's also kind of charting towards the ultimate return to normal, which would be the 21-22 season. And one of the things we've talked about, and Gary, maybe you could talk about this a little bit, Wanting to play an 82-game season, that seems very much unlikely now, given the delay and the Olympics next July. In other words, this upcoming regular season, however many games, if it's 50, 60, it's likely not to be 82. But then the postseason, we'd be back to normal. Then the following year, you could start in an October setting. That time frame would then get us kind of back on cycle so that there would only be, in essence, two NHL seasons affected by all of this. And, Gary, I would be interested in your thoughts and kind of the bigger picture and how the league and the teams are trying to get back on track. Well, so you, the Olympics are a big factor. July 15th is kind of the the date that the NHL has circled and said, we've got to be done by this date. Um, there has been a movement amongst some teams in the United States to change the calendar so that so that they're not playing in in October when it, well it's particularly the United States when you have high school football, college football, and the NFL 
um, maybe some baseball, the Winter Classic, all of those things, kind of, and, and the NBA, it's tough for some markets to draw. Well, what did we find out when we played, you know, in those odd months? A lot of people turned off, tuned out. The, the, the ratings in the NHL were down uh, dramatically uh, in the summer months. And so getting back on that calendar, the, the, the biological clock of hockey is really important. They, they need to do that. And at some point in time, they kind of have to get their business you know, back to normal in terms of dates, critical dates, and the rhythms of, of the National Hockey League. They need to get to that. And that is, uh, so yeah, they're not going to play 82 this year. But it, Shane, this will be, I'm interested in this. There's going to be, I, you know, I, I kind of counted it, and normally it's around 11 games a month is what uh, is what teams average. How many te- how, so how many games a month can you play, Shane? Can you play 14 in a month? Can you play you know three or four a week? And like some of the travel travel things you're talking about. So let's say Vegas, and I, and, I, and the, the the regional hub concept is still out there, but I think there's been a big push from from owners. You know, like the, the guys in Florida, we can put people in our building. Um, uh, the guys in uh, the team in Texas, in Dallas, we can put people in their building. Vegas could have uh, 10% in their building right away, plus half their suites. So I think there is kind of a push to play in your own building. So if you did do that, you have you know you have a Canadian division because you can't cross the border, so those teams are up there doing their thing. Um, Vegas would be, I think, there would be some realignment, and Vegas would play a lot of games in California, uh, Phoenix, you know, maybe Colorado or Dallas gets put into gets gets put into that mix. But Shane, you know how we do up and backs in the preseason, where you have your morning skate. Uh, in your own building, and then you fly up to, you know, fly down to L.A. and play in L.A. that night. Well, if you do it that way, there's a reason you do it that way. It's to save the hotel money. The hotel bill for, for one of those nights is like 20000 bucks. So um, at, the start of a, at the start of a road trip, if it's a short enough flight, and this they'll have to agree with this with the players, it'll be they'll they won't go. So that the, like if you're playing on L.A. on Monday, you'll skate in Vegas on Monday morning, fly to L.A. after, and then play that evening, uh, and then play back to backs. Like it's going to be compressed, and it's uh, they're 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 going to look they're going to look to save money on travel. I mean, interesting because that's in the, the that's a CBA. To exactly. arrive day before yep. the game, so yep. that uh, that that is something that uh, I would be I'd be surprised. You know, the players, I guess that that would be a big concession on their part because that getting in the day before were creatures of habit. Routine is so important to players. Uh, that's that's never a fun one going in the day of the game. Um, but as we talk, as we go change after this subject to the American Hockey League, and, and the majority of the guys have done it previously. Uh, they don't worry about it there. Uh, that's that's something you learn uh, on the way up to the NHL. Um, you know, and are, it's, it's going to be like baseball. They're going to play, but are they going to go in and play like two games in three nights with the same team and then come back and do the same thing at home? And, you know, California would be the only one where maybe, you know, Anaheim, L.A., you can play back-to-back. But as to the games per month, as you mentioned, they're going to have to play, you know, 13 games, 14 games possibly a month. And... To get it in, and and there's a great selling point for them to say, okay, we're going to push it, is because it's prorated salary. 
So the more games you can add up, the more salary you can recoup. There you go. The Sheriff Lawless, Some Guy Named Dave podcast brought to you by the D Hotel, the official downtown hotel of the Golden Knights. Gary, you were going to say. Well, the Ottawa Senators signed Michael Haley uh, in the last couple of days, and it just made me think that that's DJ Smith thinking to himself, if we've got to play Ottawa back-to-back or Montreal back-to-back or, you know, uh, sorry, play Toronto back-to-back or Montreal back-to-back or whatever, I want to have... uh, I want to have some muscle in that second second night of the of the back to back, and I just I just wonder, you know, as Ryan Reeves, you know, we had talked about how Vegas was in this position where they had Mark Andre Fleury and um, uh, help me out, guys, Robin Leonard. Robin Leonard. I should know the name of the goalies, right? Yes, that was, yes. That's a good this start for one of the team broadcasters. But, uh, oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> it's Monday. Um, if you think about, you know, how we thought that would be really important. Well, you play, you know, L.A. 10 times. Like one of the American League scenarios, I talked to an American League coach a little while ago, and that he saw one schedule. He works for, for Lehigh Valley. He said, we had, we played Hershey 18 times on one of the schedules. <laughs> he said, like, this was going to be, like, he, he, this guy was in that famous brawl between the Bears and the Rochester Americans where they, they had the, the Andy Restow got attacked by a, the, all these guys played for the Flyers eventually, but they had, like, a bunch of guys playing for the Hershey Bears. And, like, he said, this will be, like, 1980s. American League. This is this is not good. So I wonder if Ryan Reeves is, you know, he just signed a new deal. He might earn every penny. Yeah. That's like we were, you know, and so the American Hockey League, and let's kind of get to because you mentioned it, Shane, and it's a, a perfect pivot in the in the American League. Three games and three nights all the time, right? It was a weekend league, at least when we were there. Play Friday and no Providence. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No planes. But if, if you couldn't sleep on a bus, you were screwed. Play Friday in <laughs> Providence. Bus to Hershey, play there Saturday. Bus to Syracuse, play there Sunday. So Sunday afternoon, usually. Sunday too, afternoon. Right? Yeah. 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 And that Sunday game was usually not was usually not very good because no the guys scouts. were gas, no scouts, no nothing. Uh, but how excited we are to have the AHL here in Nevada and more specifically Henderson with the Silver Knights. Um, they had the jersey reveal recently, opening of Lifeguard Arena in Henderson recently. You know, it's amazing when you think about it, guys. The Golden Knights in three, well, a little more than three years now, but they've become one of the premier franchises in the NHL, and now they're going to have an AHL franchise as well. Um, you know, and we, we're trying to kind of, for fans that aren't too familiar with it, the top developmental league in the world, the American Hockey League. The four of us all spent time there. Uh, Gary, you spent parts of a decade covering the Manitoba Moose. Shane, you played uh, three years, right, with St. John, Cincinnati, and Adirondack. So you put your time in in the American League. Dan was five years in Syracuse. I was five years in Providence. Um, 87% of the players that played in the NHL last year had spent time in the American Hockey League. You had the note, Gary. The only Golden Knight was Paul Stastny, right? He's the only guy on the team from last year that had never spent a game uh, in the AHL, but everybody else had. That's how important it is for the development of guys and whatever they're, you know, we, we think of it maybe with broadcasters and, and players and coaches, but equipment managers, trainers, wherever it might be, um, it's a great training ground. Dan, this is, and, and we're super pumped about this, right? To have the Silver Knights here, the convenience of it, to have them just over in Henderson where, you know, George McPhee, Kelly McCrimmon, Pete DeBoer, whoever wants to take in a practice, take in a game, but more importantly, 
He's getting a bind on a Friday morning. You get to call a guy up. He can just drive over from Henderson. But it's going to be phenomenal to have this team in this marketplace and so close to you know to T-Mobile and City National Arena. Well, yeah, you know, the thing that we were talking about was the schedule, the number of games that a team will play against a local rival. You know, we had talked with the Golden Knights. It's going to take a playoff series before the Golden Knights have a true rivalry with a division opponent. Well, we saw that a little bit with the Kings in the first year. Obviously, the San Jose Sharks, when you see them in two different playoff series. In the American Hockey League, you just talked about this. You're playing the same team 10, 12, 14, 18 times, and that's typical. And I can't imagine what it was like, say, in the 70s when there were six teams in the league, right? And and obviously a throwback to what the NHL had been uh, in the original six. So you do have those rivalries that percolate over the course of a regular season, and sometimes you're playing the same team twice in as many days. It's not just a three and three. You might have, you know, Binghamton play Wilkes-Barre in Wilkes-Barre on a Friday and then in Binghamton on Saturday, right? So there's a like almost like a playoff series that occurs over uh, a period of time. And I think that that rivalry um, in the American Hockey League, you, you do have the folks that follow that. You know the characters. Um, and it, it's a little bit different. There's not going to be too many AHL highlights on SportsCenter Top 10. But the people who follow the league very closely are intimately aware of those battles. They remember the last time that a particular team came to town and the stories, the ramifications, the big fight, the scrap. You know, there, there are as many stories in the American Hockey League about non-hockey stuff as there are about <laughs> things that happened on the ice between the whistles. Well, I'm sitting here listening to you tell that story. And like, so Shane and Dave and I were at Lifeguard Arena last week and we ended up in a little huddle with George McPhee. And all of a sudden, Gosher is doing uh, Tommy, his Tommy McVee imitation. And George is laughing because George had him, I think, in Utica, uh, you know, in his his last year. And Shane and I know Tommy from uh, from his time in, in Winnipeg. Uh, well, Shane might not have been alive when Tom was coaching in Winnipeg. No, but, I know uh, from Boston. Yeah, from Boston as yeah. well. So, uh, like, the people, I, I can remember sitting uh, it with, so I covered the American League for a long time, and a lot of those guys that were players when I was covering it are now, well, they're now, some of them are GMs or assistant GMs mm-hmm. and pro scouts. I was in a in a bar with, uh, and the nicknames, uh, Rob Cowboy Cowie, uh, Chris Kelleher, you remember Chris, uh, uh, Dave, and, yep. uh, and Dennis Bonvi, who Shane uh, really knows. And they're telling the story about, I guess, in Fredericton and everyone, the, the, the names for stuff, they called it Freddie Beach. Fredericton was yep. her because And yep. it was this outpost in Eastern Canada. And on Sunday nights in Fredericton, the bar, there was a bar that had an industry night. And so it was a rule of the American League that the afternoon game on a Sunday in Friday Beach was a no-hitter because the visiting team wouldn't couldn't get out of town until the next day because I guess they would often fly out of Fredericton or they'd bust to somewhere and then fly. So they would stay over on Sunday nights, and, of course, the home team would be staying there as well. And no one wanted to get hurt in the Sunday afternoon game and miss the Sunday night industry night at the bar where the players got a break on uh, on the beer and obviously um, – uh, 
all the attractive people that worked at all the other bars in town were at this joint on Sunday night. So you, so they're telling a story, and I get it's Bonvi's first time playing in one of these games, and of course he's a very physical guy and a guy that fought, and he's running around, and someone says to Rob Cowie, Cowie, hey cowboy, put a leash on your pit bull there. It's industry night tonight doesn't he know and rob said he had to track him down on the bench he had he had to get it because we're at the other ends of the bench he had to walk down and say hey cowboy uh or sorry uh, dennis you gotta put it you gotta slow down here this is it's supposed to be a no hitter we're all going out together tonight so <laughs> you, know, you don't hear stuff like that in the nhl and the american league there's a million stories like that Sure. So uh, you mentioned uh, Freddie Beach, Man- Manchester Monarchs. They used to call it Manch Vegas. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Shane, your, your time in the American League, when you think back on it now, what do you remember the most? What's your fondest uh, thoughts of that time? Well, I, I think that's, uh, you know, the, the stories. Everybody that, you know, and I think if you make it the NH, even if you don't, the American Hockey League is full of stories. It is because it's a learning experience. That's where you learn to live on your own. That's where you learn to, you know, you cook your own meals. You learn what you should be doing and what you should not. Uh, yeah. You know, tons of stories both on and off the ice. And you mentioned not there. St. John's and like Newfoundland, George Street was legendary uh, yeah. If you went up there, because if you went up there, there's nowhere else. You're, you're stuck. Yeah. And that was probably the, you know, little prop plane flight that, you know, bounced across because that was one of the, it was not fun, but. From Halifax to St. Fans. John's. Oof. Yeah, not, not good. Yeah. But, you know, I, it, it is the stories and you didn't have much. It was about hockey. It was about playing. And it was about learning to be a teammate, learning to be a pro, how to handle yourself. And the, and the games change, just like it has in the NHL. But, you know, with stories, you, you went out as a team, you, you worked as a team, um, and you, you tried to get better. The coaching staff really worked with you. Um, but, you know, not as much now. Communication wasn't different. But coaches, I, it was old school coach. My first one, Paul Baxter. When I played in St. John, my, it was my first experience in American Hockey League. My first, first game was against Bingo. And then, you know, back, you know, this is 90s. It's, there wasn't, you know, one Ryan Reeves. There was five of them on every team. And, you know, they, I remember they had Eric Cairns and Sylvan Bluen, I think like 6'5", six, 6'4", six, respectively. Um, they had a couple other guys. And then I remember there's this little guy. It was my first game playing, and he's running around. I'm like, all right, that's, I got to get, you know, because you want to do stuff when you're in the American Hockey League that stands out to your game. And I'm like, well, I got to get in a fight. So I grabbed this little guy. I remember I hit him twice, and then I ate about 10. And I got to the bench, and I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, who? it's Ryan Vandenbush, who, if anybody wants to Google, probably one of the toughest pound-for-bound fighters, both in the American Hockey League and the NHL. Uh, you know, he ended Nick Kiprios' career. Um, just, uh, you know, and but you learn. Well, and I learned uh, I better know who I'm going out against. And that, you know, became the the thing uh, is you needed to understand. And I mentioned Coach Paul Baxter. I remember we played them again. Sylvain Bluen, you know, they didn't call it. Back then it was a clean head. It was about an elbow, but his elbow, my head, and the glass. And I, you know, I went down and I, I looked like right out of the cartoon. I was Bambi on ice. And, you know, I made my way back to the bench. And the concern from the coach was he came down and asked two questions. So I better tell me, are you hurt or are you injured? I'm like, well, what? <laughs> well, you're just hurt. You can get back out there. If you're injured, go back to the room. And it was like my fourth, fifth game. And, you know, you know, now it's not good to say I played through it. Eventually, a day later, they took, I got off the ice and I was out for, you know, wasn't diagnosed, but I was, let's assume it was a concussion. 
Um, but no, no penalty called on the hit. No penalty. No penalty. No, it was a clean Nothing. hit. Yeah. Um, but there's tons of those stories. But the biggest one I remember, you know, you, you knew this, the, the awareness of your, when you were being watched, right? If, you know, I remember playing in Adirondack. I knew when, you know, assistant GM Jim Neal, because, you know, that was his job. Usually the assistant GM's around a ton. And you knew when he was in the building, the guys had extra jump. And, uh, you know, learning how to, you know, handle travel. When you're tired, how do you get through? I think bigger than anything, and you guys hear me preach about it, and I talk about it all the time, uh, the mental strength you need to play this game. The mental toughness is one of the biggest things that's going to carry you from one league to the other. And you certainly develop that at the American Hockey League because there's nights you want nothing to do with the game or afternoons, uh, and you go. You have to. I liked the, you know, the fact that it was, obviously the travel in the NHL is fantastic, but in the American League, yeah, you know, I was going to talk like about guys that. put their own bags on the bus and uh, you eat the, you know, like there's chicken parm gets delivered or a pizza after the game. And I, I, I rode the bus with the team for many of those years. You'd get on the bus and, you know, you're all, eat, you know, guys are taking their, their suit off and putting on track suits. And uh, I can remember we landed in Boston and the team had a playoff game in Portland and the Canucks, the, 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 the moose there, they were the affiliate of the Vancouver Canucks and Brandon Reed was the ping pong. He was the guy they were calling up and back and forth. And we just pulled out of, just got onto the highway, just got into the interstate outside of Boston to head to Portland. And all of a sudden, you know, Stan Spiel, his phone goes to his ear. He's the coach, tells the bus he pull over. And then he just, Stan goes, Brandon Reed. And Brandon gets from the back of the bus, goes up to the front. Stan says something to him. Brandon goes back, grabs, puts his suit on, takes his track pit, suit off, puts his suit on, and gets gets off the bus with the equipment guy, and they throw his bag on the uh, uh, out on the highway, and they left him on the highway. They said well, that we're close enough to the airport, we'll call a cab. They left him on the highway. He had to get... get Cab came and got him, took him back to Logan, and then he flew to wherever the heck Vancouver was playing. But just like the, the stories just go on and on and on and yeah. on. And it's a little different than the NHL. In It's not quite as, it's not as corporate and it's not as serious. And you're making mistakes because you're young and you're learning. There's something about it. It's, it's, I, I my time there, like I needed it. I needed to, to make those mistakes as a reporter and to learn how to act around a team and an organization was all really good for me. Well, that time on the bus, right? That's what I, I kind of remember the most. And, you know, the other thing I think of, Dan, and it might be a little bit more specific to what we do, I've always felt you were a lot closer to the players at the AHL level because you were around them a lot more. And when I was there, you it, you you needed each other. For instance... I handled in Providence all of our road trips, all our hotels, all our per diem, all the team meals. If the team, you know, you're on the bus, the guys are like, oh, my family's coming to the game in Springfield or Worcester or Rochester. You were in charge of the passes to leave after the game. You know, like our, the great Bronco that, you know, for us, kind of the traveling secretary, Rick Bronstein, you know, a lower level than that, you know, but, but that was kind of part of our my job anyways. But... So the players kind of needed you at times for stuff like that. And then you would need them to go to a school reading, to go to a hospital visit, 
whatever the player appearance might be. So I think it, you know, that's something, and to your point, Gary, you know, look, we all love what we do, and the NHL is is the place you want to be, but it is very corporate. It's in normal times, you sit on the private plane, you land, you get bust to the Ritz. What's not to like about that? <laughs> you, that can't means, be on, you can't be on time for one of our golf games. How did you organize all uh, oh, of that? Oh, not a problem. I'm, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a detailed guy. That's a I'm really good question. That, I'm a detailed what, guy. What happened to Dick when I'm in charge? When I'm in charge and the heat's That's on. what happens when you get to the NHL. They, That's right. right there, you get Gary. soft. There's a great you example. You get soft. You get big soft. Time. You, did, but, he, uh, you, you went big time, Dave Gocher. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's not easy. You make sure the car is ready and warmed up. Get the bags <laughs> in the trunk. Um <laughs> But no, so I just, I re, that's the, you know, and just the, I mean, the stories are endless. You know, I, we had, um, so I was in Providence five years. Bobby Francis was our coach uh, for the first two, went on to coach in Phoenix. And then um, Tommy McVie for one and Peter Laviolette for two. And just, um, you know, the, what I remember about the road trips, we would play the credit card game all the time. And you'd go on, the, you know, the, and you'd go on these runs of you couldn't w- win or you couldn't lose. Right. Right. So, and for those who don't know, the credit card game is the five of us go out for dinner. You know, we had five in Providence. Everyone throws their credit card in the bread basket at the end. The waitress comes in the last card left in the basket. That person's going to pay for the whole meal. So Peter Laviolette, who uh, he, he was great with the needle. You know, he would just, so if he won, so it, it, he would be, Gosh, that's the best chicken parm I've ever had in my life. <laughs> <laughs> but so your your full day per diem in the American League when I was there was forty six dollars or something. Well, you'd go out the first night on the road. You might spend two hundred dollars on a meal when all you had was your own, you know, spaghetti and meatballs. So yeah, it was just it's a special, special place. And I also think just to kind of. What I remember about it, two guys, is all of us there for the most part. There were some guys that had played in the NHL or maybe were kind of near the end of the road. But for the most part, everyone there was going after the same thing, which was to get to the NHL somehow, some way. Broadcasters, coaches, trainers, equipment managers, players. And, you know, fortunately, a lot of us from the time in Providence were able to move on. But we were all kind of in it together, all striving to get to the same place. Uh, you want a, a story, Dave, because it, it, there are two current Golden Knights that were involved in one of my early AHL experiences. And this kind of ties in with your comment about knowing the, the players uh, more intimately and, and kind of knowing more <laughs> than the general public does. So this is my first month of the American Hockey League in Syracuse, and this is in 2012. So the NHL lockout has no NHL games, right? And it's in Syracuse, and the Tampa Bay Lightning were in their first season as the affiliate. They had been in Norfolk, Virginia. And as you may recall, in 2012, the Norfolk Admirals had this incredible finish to the regular season, won the Calder Cup. So now the reward for winning the Calder Cup is relocate from Norfolk, Virginia to Syracuse, New York, which uh, did not make a lot of the players or coaches happy, right? Uh, You're living at Virginia Beach or you're living in upstate New York. The Q's. The Q's. Now, they had won the Calder Cup. Now, even it was a different organization. It's the same players, right, that had just won the Calder Cup. And they're playing in Binghamton. Robin Leonard, the goalie. Mark Stone was on this Binghamton club. They had won the Calder Cup the previous year, 2011. So you've got the last two Calder Cup champions. In other words, this is an early season matchup, division rivals, two of the best teams. It would be like, you know, the Tampa Bay Lightning playing the St. Louis Blues, right? That's two of the big teams in, in this year's uh, NHL. So it's... Uh, I think it was the fourth or fifth game of the season. It's October of 2012. 
We go down to Binghamton, and the Senators are beating the crap out of the crutch. It's 5 nothing midway through the game. Mark Stone has three assists. And what happens, I don't remember exactly what precipitated the scrum, but there is a battle around the Binghamton net. People are swinging, and Robin Leonard ends up down on the ice in his own goal. And when the pile gets peeled away, guys are still squaring off. Robin Leonard gets up and goes over and punches Richard Panic in the back of the head. And all hell breaks loose, and it escalates from there. But the other part of the story is, and this gets to knowing things that the general public didn't, the starting goalie for this game was supposed to be Dustin Tokarski. It was not Dustin Tokarski. It was Riku Helanius from Finland. He had been in the North American game before, but the previous season was in Finland. So he's now ingratiating himself to his new teammates. The reason why Riku Helanius started that game and not Dustin Tokarski is because earlier that day, Dustin Tokarski was carjacked at knife point in Syracuse. <laughs> <laughs> John Cooper, head coach at the time, had stayed in Syracuse to try to work with Dustin and the police and try to get his car back. But you could imagine, again, you've just moved from Virginia Beach to Syracuse. You've been there for a couple of weeks. Welcome to upstate New York. Nice play. <laughs> right? So eventually, you know, uh, Jim Sorosi, chief operating officer of the Crunch, gets Cooper and Tikarski in the car, and they're going 100 miles an hour down Route 81 to get to Binghamton. They got there, like, during warm-ups, but you're not going to have Tikarski start the game. So, as I mentioned, Robin Leonard has just punched Richard Panic in the back of the head. And, you know, you're not supposed to punch a goalie, right? Unless you're a goalie yourself. So Riku Helanius comes out from the other goal crease at the other end of the ice, and everything stops. It's like that scene in Slapshot where everybody just freezes, and you look down in the oh, my goodness, here comes Riku. And that means Robin Leonard has got to go out to center ice, and the two square off. Remember, Robin Leonard from Sweden, Riku Helanius from Finland, an additional level to this rivalry. And Robin Leonard beats the you-know-what out of Rico. <laughs> I don't know if Rico was thinking Robin Leonard's a large man. It's a big yes. man. Yes, and this is eight years ago, too. And it's 5 nothing in favor of Binghamton when this happens. Both goalies get ejected. Long story short, Syracuse comes back to win the game in overtime 6-5. 6-5. <laughs> to five. Six to five. And uh, Dustin Tokarski had to come in the game for Syracuse having been carjacked at knife point earlier in the day and shuts out the Binghamton Senators with all this firepower. I mentioned that they'd already scored five goals in the game. Not only from that scrum I mentioned in the middle of the second period, it ended up with the teams combining for 152 penalty minutes. So there are a lot of fights, a lot of battles throughout the game. And also remember, this is during the lockout. So my second intermission guest on the radio was then head coach of the Lightning, Guy Boucher. You've got the lightning brass there to witness all of this. And at the same time, it ingratiated these new players to the Syracuse Crunch fan because the Crunch fans hated these guys, right? They were playing for the rival just the year before. Sure. So you had all these layers to it. And there's some more details to the story. I looked up the game sheet. Another fun fact in this game, 11 goals, 11 different goal scorers. So it's just some wild yeah. stuff from this game in October of 2012. But that little detail about Dustin Tukarski getting carjacked at knife point Nobody knew that. We kept that quiet for like three years. So it was an incredible game, biggest comeback in franchise history, but that just added something to it. I knew what was going on, but as the captain of the Crunch, Mike Angelitas, used to say, 
you ride the bus. And the people who are on the bus, whether it's coaches, players, trainer, uh, equipment guy, you just have that special bond that you talked about, Dave. Uh, and a lot of things that uh, will never be spoken on the air or written in a book, uh, but uh, will make for great <laughs> memories. Uh, and that's as much as I can say on the air at this point in time. Tukarski is probably the only goalie in history to be robbed at knife point, carjacked, and, and get a win the same day. Yeah, I would right? I would say so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that might have been a regular occurrence in the American League in the 70s. You never know. Yeah, we just knew it, never knew about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they filmed Slapshot in Syracuse. Not yeah. the American Hockey League in, uh, in that era, but yeah, Syracuse and the American Hockey League, a lot of those small markets had a lot of character and a lot of very passionate fans. And, and you know, Slapshot was not about the AHL. But those booster clubs, you know, those people that yeah. were there when the bus would get in at two in the morning and they're there to send you off, they'd have those booster club meetings. A lot of people that really impacted the character of the American Hockey League. Hey, when we were interviewing Dan for uh, for his position with uh, with the Golden Knights, I texted uh, the GM of another team to say, hey, what do you know about Dan Duva? And the response was, Nothing good comes of Syri- comes from Syracuse. Yeah. <laughs> we hired him anyways, but <laughs> yeah, I, I, there, there are a lot of people would have that sentiment. It's a yeah. tough place to go. And Gary, just you know, it's it's we're doing this this AHL conversation because Gordon Weiger, our colleagues at the Golden Knights, has been uh, interviewing each of us and writing for the Henderson website these great stories uh, going through each of our memories. So check that out at the uh, Henderson Silver Knights website. And uh, got to read yours the other day, Gary. And I, I liked how you, you broke down the American Hockey League player to three different kinds of people, right? On the way up. Been up for a little bit on the way down. Those are the three. Those are the kind of yeah. the 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 three yeah. guys that you would interview. The guy that had never been up yet, he'd give you all the time in the world. The guy that'd been up a little bit and back and forth, he's got a little bit of that NHL jade on him, so he doesn't give you quite as much time. And then the guy on the way down, who is you know been in the National Hockey League for a long time and is now knows he's not going back up. Boy, he'd love to get his name in the paper and have a nice story written about him. Good. He'll give you all the time in the world. You know, one last question I wanted to ask, Dave, because the Henderson Silver Knights are just a stone's throw away from where the Golden Knights are playing. Syracuse was a long way from uh, from Tampa, and, you know, that's not the case where you're going to have Henderson so close to Vegas. But Providence was pretty darn close to Boston. A lot of people who are Bruins fans at the NHL level, what was it like to have that close connection with the fan bases and the proximity. Yeah, it was awesome, Dan. And, I, and it's um, the other thing I think about is Providence Bruins, Boston Bruins. But I grew up in in Pawtucket, just north of Providence, and they had the Pawtucket Red Sox AAA team for the Boston Red Sox for years and years. Um, people love the fact that you could see a player play for the Providence Bruins on a Friday night, and you might see them play for the Boston Bruins on Saturday. They love that. They love that. You know, because they, they feel even more of a connection to it. And quite honestly, the chances in the community at the AHL level, at least back then, to maybe get to know these guys a little bit. We see, you know, in the community was a huge part of what we did. Player appearances all over the place. So that you got to you got to know these guys more than just you saw them play, you know, on Friday and Sunday at, at the at the Providence Civic Center. So it was huge. And it happened all the time. Dan. You know, the convenience of again. You, you get a, you're in a bind and you've got to call a guy up 
and he could drive 45 minutes from Providence to Boston and be there and not be flying from Syracuse to Tampa or whatever it might be, uh, you know, across or, you know, some teams had it across. Like, what, where's the long Utica and Vancouver right now, right? Like, yeah. good luck. So, uh, yeah, fans love that. They love that. They felt connected to it. You would see these guys developing and hopefully on their way up to, to bigger and better things. Shane, what Shane. was it like getting? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Dave. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go what was ahead. it like getting called up? And then what was it like getting demoted? Like those two sort of that moment where, you know, okay, hey, kid, come on in here. You're going to meet the senators wherever or uh, being. A, it, it, did, did you ever get demoted once you got to the NHL? So, so I'm, I'm very, well, the good thing is I've only been demoted once and called up once. Um, because, you know, nothing happened my first three years in between. It was actually three leagues, but the American League and even the IHL. But yeah, when I finally uh, was with the Boston, uh, the Boston, the Ottawa Senators, uh, I made a team out of camp and then they sent me down right around Halloween to Grand Rapids. And I'll never forget, like, I flew to Winnipeg, picked up at that time a wife and one daughter loaded a U-Haul, drove to Grand Rapids, or no, excuse me, I went to Grand Rapids, played two games. I believe it was against the Manitoba Moose. Played them, and then I flew home the Sunday, got my family. By the time I got back, I'd been recalled because a guy broke his ankle. I literally, that day we arrived in Grand Rapids, I unloaded U-Haul, threw it in the apartment we rented, left them. I left them without cash, which I get reminded. Went to the airport <laughs> and flew to Ottawa. And they were there, like, no food, no nothing. Just here's the apartment, here's some furniture, see you later. I think I bought a TV, and then I, so that was it. And then, you know, fortunately, they weren't there long, like four days, and I, you know, they were allowed to come. But, uh, yeah, not much. Uh, it, was, it was quick. That was the only time... Uh, I was uh, demoted and then called right back up. It was a very, very short uh, term. I'd spent enough the previous uh, four years in the between the leagues, so it was nice to just uh, have it happen once. Shane, how does it work with guys? And you know, again, we're we're talking about the Henderson Silver Knights here, the the newest uh, AHL franchise. Is going to be the the top affiliate uh, for the VGK. You mentioned it took you pretty much four years. You know, uh, American League, IHL, some time in the East Coast League as well. Um, were there times that you thought, you know, this just might not happen? I might not make it to the NHL on a regular basis? Or did you not allow your mind to get that far down the road? I don't think I allowed my mind to get there. I think, you know, so my before I, with Ottawa, I spent two years with the Detroit Red Wings organization, right in the midst of their Hall of, you know, Hall of Fame teams they had when they won Cups in 97. Um, and Scotty Bowman at that time was a coach. And the Detroit Red Wings don't work like teams do nowadays. It was, you know, if they lost a player, they signed a veteran. Like they signed Todd Gill. I think in the two years I was in Detroit's organization, three call-ups. So, you know, think about that, that in today's terms. It was, you know, and I played some real good hockey. I had a great start my first year there. And actually Jim Nill said he'd be first on the list. And then they signed, I believe they signed Todd Gill and somebody. But, you know, Detroit Headland, Shanahan, Chelios, Lindstrom, Eiserman, and goes on and on. Just, you no know, No salary ridiculous. cap in those days, right? Yeah, no, no cap. salary they'd cap, get, no worries. They'd go yeah. get Bob Rouse. Rather than yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. You, right? Yeah. They did it different. So, you know, I, I think I didn't. And then when, you know, my rights got traded auto when I went there, I, I saw that as an opportunity. But everything I'd learned, I remember in that offseason, I did more. I, I was first time I think I ever hired a trainer. 
uh, you know, before that workouts, and I'll get, I'm going to get to a couple stories, like before that, my workout, especially, you know, if I was with buddies and, you know, if I golfed all day and, you know, put down six beers, I'd go for a 20 minute run and lift weights for 15 minutes and then rejoin them at the bar. That was considered a workout. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, it wasn't, it was a different mindset. And, you know, I, I changed that mindset. And I actually, I remember that was the first time, you know, I'd read books, but I really got into looking at the, you know, some books to help, you know, mentally. And I, I still have a quote book actually from that summer. I wrote down like inspirational quotes and I started a book that I'd read and, and I went to Ottawa and I made it and, you know, whether that helped, but I think, you know, everybody has a different curve in which they're going to mature both, you know, physically, skill wise, mentally, uh, to make it. And it's a matter, and then it's a matter of opportunity. I, I got very fortunate with, I got called up. I made the team because somebody broke their ankle. I got called back up because the same guy broke his ankle and is three inches higher than he did before. Ricard Pearson. Yeah. Love him. My favorite player in the NHL at the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, so, so there was work and I think that, you know, there, there comes a point where a player has to learn. And then once you're in the NHL, you, and I said this about Nick Juan, Zach Whitecloud, there comes a point once you're in it, that then you feel you belong. And then once you feel you belong there, that's when you stay, that that's what makes a career. So, but it all, all those learning experiences and, you know, we would go back to the, it's this Henderson Silver Knights and it, it's the game has changed. The players have changed like the facility there is just phenomenal what what they have and you know these players though now at 14 15 have already kind of grown up they've all got trainers at a young age they've all got programs they follow eating habits none of that existed so you need to have those type of facilities because these players come in and it's a place they want to be they want to be at the rink and when you want to be there that means you're going to work on your game now you know even video wise they can you know, instantly look at their shifts, their this, that. They can go to the, the strength rooms, the lounges, the kitchens. They can eat right. We didn't have any of that. And I told this story to Gordon, and I've told this to you guys many times. I remember playing in Cincinnati when we were split. Detroit and uh, Anaheim split their team there. We, we played a game. We lost the third game of our first three of the season. In game three, we had two rickety old bikes, and we had a protein shake. I think we had some dumbbells, too. There's two stories, uh, a set of like, you know, the old metal heavy dumbbells, like where they're together and they clanked when you put them together. Well, we lost our third game and two guys were on a bike. One guy was making a, some sort of shake and Mo Mantha was our coach and he came in and yelled and he's screaming, if you guys got enough energy to ride a bike after a game, you haven't worked hard enough. And what is that you're making to drink? If you want to have something to drink after a game, put beer in the fridge, make it something you worked for. Well, you're not going to see that now. And I'll Pretty never point, forget that. This is my last story about having proper weights in the gym. I played with a guy and he was like, back then you trained different. It was like, you know, bench, you're training for the beach. He was doing the dumbbell raises where you lift them up to your side, your, your arm, your elbow goes up, and then you kind of clank as you come down. You clank as you come down. Well, he was getting really into it one day, and where you clank is close to where you wear your jock. And let's just uh -oh. say it was oh, one boy. of the loudest screams I've ever heard from the gym in my life. <laughs> and one of the most pain felt throughout a locker room for nobody being there. Uh, but yeah, those are, and those are all the story and those are the learning experiences. And, uh, you know, now it's different and what they've been able to set up here for the Henderson Silver Knights is A++. It's elite, just like the Vegas Golden Knights. And I think it lends a hand to allowing these guys to develop the right way and to learn quickly what it's like to be a pro.
Gary, the quality of play that we're expected to see in the American Hockey League. Um, and, and we should say they have targeted February 5th, I believe, right, as a, as a start date. And we'll see if that, that holds. But uh, what do you expect to see there is, you know, you know, I've kind of talked about these guys that are so hungry and play with a lot of passion because they want to, you know, at some point they want to get to the show. What do you expect for quality of play? Yeah, listen, all uh, I'm biased. I the the style of play that they play in the KHL, I don't find to be uh, it's that the ice service to me, it just doesn't lend to. To what you have in North America. So uh, to me, it's the second best league in the world. And I also, I kind of liken it a little bit to, you watch an NBA game on a Friday and there's very few mistakes. And then on Saturday morning, you flip on the TV and it's Duke in North Carolina. And that NCAA game has mistakes. There's a little more frantic energy in the game because the players aren't perfect. And in the American League, you know, listen, you're, there'll be nights and you'll watch an American League game and there'll be five or six guys on both teams that are good enough to play in the NHL. And as a result of the numbers game at that moment, they're not up. Or it's a team that is, uh, that's right at the salary cap and these are their young guys and those young guys could, could play, but there's, you know, because of one ways or whatever it is, there's no room for them to be there. So it is, you know, it's it's NHL light. But I think the, the the mistakes that they make sometimes make it more fun to watch. And also, there will be a guy. Shane talked about it earlier when he got uh, when he got beat up by uh, by Ryan Ryan Vandenbosch. There'll be a it, what Shane was trying to do was to get noticed. There's going to be a guy in every American League game that was drafted in the fifth fifth round is not a bonus baby but is trying to trying to out kick the coverage of his draft selection and he does that through work and effort and will and those guys are for me are the most fun guys to watch and I watched Rick Rippon the late Rick Rippon God bless us his soul. Uh, I watched him break in, and his very first game in the National Hockey League, in the, in the American Hockey League, uh, he just came right came up from junior from the Regina Pats. He got in a fight with a guy who was six five, and Rick was barely six feet, and he just held the like kind of ducked underneath the guy, and every time the guy would swing, Rick would pop up and and land one and. At, at, at the start of the game, I don't think half the guys on the Moose bench knew his name. But by the end of that fight, and it was right in front of the bench, the end of that fight, the whole Moose bench was up on their feet. They're all slamming their sticks on the bench. And Rick Rippon became part of that team. And Brian Burke was in the building that night watching his prospects play. And Rick Rippon became part of the future of the Vancouver Canucks Right then and there, and that uh, those moments happen—they um, happen all the time in the American Hockey League, and that's fun stuff to watch. Well, it's going to be a blast, guys. We said we hope the NHL gets going here after the new year, and we're hoping that the AHL uh, the same. The Henderson Silver Knights, uh, the jersey, by the way, Dan, the jersey's fantastic. The, the Silver Knights jersey with the horse—it's. Uh, did you have any hand in designing and designing that stuff? No. <laughs> 
Absolutely not. I, there, there's lots of jerseys. I mean, holy cow, you got to get your uh, your shopping done for the holidays because with the Silver Knights, two jerseys, you got two yep. new Golden Knights jerseys, the gold one, and then the retro one that just came out. It's uh, I'm going to have to uh, revisit my, my shopping list or get on the yep. phone with Santa Claus here. Yeah, no question. Well, good stuff, guys. And we're, uh, as we say, we're hoping here the NHL and the AHL can get going in the not-too-distant future. The Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast, uh, pre-Thanksgiving edition, focusing on the excitement of the AHL's Henderson Silver Knights. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you next time.